Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed and I'm a financial advisor with McNamara Financial right here in Marshfield. Oh, beautiful segue. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. And we have a special guest, first time on our show, but I know that you've done radio before. Uh, We have Amy Martell with Whole Family Law and Mediation right (laughs) here in Marshfield. And we are going to talk this morning about um, financial and other issues related to divorce and how to approach divorce and get through a divorce in an amicable way. Uh, <laughs> Which seems like an, a, you yeah, know, a contradiction in terms. Amy has some guidance for us this morning. Um, and we're also going to talk about uh, prenups and postnups and some things related to um, financial issues related to marriages and, and divorce and, and other stuff. So we are here until 10 a.m. We're recorded live. You can call in with questions, 781-837-4900. You can also text your questions if you don't want to join us on the air. And that is, I, I forget the number. Yeah, uh, 781 Okay, perfect. Um so, Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Amy's office is a stone's throw from where we are sitting right now recording the show. Literally. So you're <laughs> right on Plain Street, right mm-hmm. by the entrance to Enterprise Drive, right here where WATD is. Um, what's, it clo- like, what's it close to? I'm just trying to picture what building it is. Or- it's in the Plain Street office condominiums. So near uh, Marshfield Insurance and Marshfield... Uh, and Cranberry Council. Yes, yeah, okay. Yeah, yes. sign on the window. Okay, yes. Exactly. Okay. We, um, yeah, when we... we 
um, Kirk and I go to CrossFit, and when we go out for runs, the cranberry counseling window is the mark for the 800 meter. That sounds right. Run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. so that's what ha- exactly. that's how I reference your building. It's the cranberry counseling building because the sign is right there on the window. Yes, it's 400 meters from CrossFit. Oh, 400. Oh, right. <laughs> you can turn right. around that's and do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so thank you for being with us this morning. My pleasure. I have. We are just getting to know each other, um, but I did go on your website and I did some reading mm-hmm. um, about you and your business, and we're really looking forward to having you this morning. Um, do you just want to take a minute or two and maybe just give a quick background about yourself and and your practice and sure. just introduce yourself to our listeners this morning? Sure. Thank you so much. It's yeah. been, it's I've I've listened to you guys and it's so much fun to be actually be, be on here yeah. with you um, and your old business partner. We were saying Jennifer De Gregorio yeah. used to be on the show quite frequently. She was Remember that name, friends no. with um, my dad or you know yeah. a professional relationship you know years oh, ago and yeah that's so, and great. Right, yeah, you, she was your former business partner. So or, I worked with her when I when I first was starting out. I was her. I, I was an associate with her, and okay. we stayed friends. We no longer yeah. have shared law practices together. Okay, but we have the office together just oh, up the street. Okay. So yeah. and she and I have stayed dear friends. Yeah, and she's a pretty regular um, guest on our oh, show. Oh, she must so, have been funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't great. know that I ever did a show with her, but I know she did lots with my father. Yeah, so she's she's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So sorry to interrupt. But oh no, uh, go right ahead. You give us a little bit of your background. If you um, don't mind. Sure. So so as as you introduced, I have whole family law and mediation, which is an out of court resolution practice. So. Seven years ago, I decided I was not going to take any more litigation cases. I was only going to work with clients out of court, either in mediation, collaborative law, or in, you know, the other kind of areas of practice using whatever kind of conflict resolution techniques I would do, but not going to court. Okay. Um, And so I've been doing that now. I've been in practice for 12 years, but but doing the non-adversarial work for about seven years. And before that, I was actually a therapist and a music teacher. You have such an interesting (laughs) background. It's a little bit meandering. First of all, several degrees in there it's in your bio <laughs> and one of them being in music therapy yeah. correct yeah. and you used to do used, used to practice music I was. therapy yeah. yeah 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 and that was I don't a, even know really what that means uh, it's it can it's it's really therapy using music as the medium rather yeah. than talking so if you think about and yeah. you can use it with any kind of community huh. of people any kind of needs or interests any kind of concerns i was working with children who are mostly nonverbal so children who were living with oh. autism spectrum oh. disorder yep. children oh, wow. with cp children in hospitals uh, wow. And so music, and I was working in an improvised format of music therapy. Yeah, I feel like I can't. I know <laughs> the, the microphone is right in our line of like vision. I'm going to turn can't. it this okay, way. Here we go. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I was using improvisation as the medium for music for That's for creating so cool. music together with these kids, so that they could find themselves and be in relation with another human being and communicate, develop their own skills, develop their own way of being. Wow. Um, working in hospitals, using it for pain management. It was a great career. It was wonderful. Yeah. And people often say, "Why did you leave?" And it was just, it was time. It was time to meander. Yeah. Um, at some point it will be time to meander again. That just yeah. tends to be how I do things. Yeah. Um, but there's actually a really logical transition between music therapy and what I do now. I yeah, know that you're going to have to explain <laughs> that because that's pretty far-fetched for me. Yeah. So what, what I tell people now, particularly as a mediator, is what I'm doing as as the mediator is, yes, I'm helping people resolve these conflicts and deal with all the, the, the bullet point of issues that they need to address in order to come to an agreement. But the skills that I bring to the table as far as being able to listen to what is being said as well as what is not being said Mm -hmm. and use my breathing and use my body and use the tone of my voice, use the way that I meet people. Mm. Um, It is an improvisation. Those Hmm. actual mediation sessions are an improvisation and there's a lot that is happening that is nonverbal. In fact, I would say probably more like 80% of the work is nonverbal. Because most of the time, any kind of conflict is really not about the thing that 
people are talking about. It's usually about the things that are underneath. Mm. And those are the things that need to get excavated or at least heard and understood in order to get to a resolution. So, so, <laughs> so I yeah. like to say that I'm doing essentially the same thing. And, and, you know, and part of my other part of my portfolio of, of background is I was a bartender for a number of years yeah. in fine dining, yeah. which I loved. And I always say everything I ever needed to know, I learned as a bartender. And tell Kirk where you were bartending. He'll appreciate this. Oh, I was at number nine park down in, in Boston. Oh, Are you a number nine park fan? Well, I've never been, but okay. it, that's like whatever. I'm always like, can we go? Can we go now? Oh, and yeah. like, we've just never gone. And like, but that's like my... Number, every, number one where every I would year like to or two, go. Kirk yeah. is like, you know, we still haven't been to number nine. Yeah, park. can we go? Oh, yeah, you guys like, got to go this, for like a decade. Is this yeah, the year yeah. we can go? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it yeah. was it was one. And it was an incredible experience working for Barbara Lynch, who was the, the, right. the chef okay. owner of that place. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's great, great community. So this is way off topic, and we will get to the, <laughs> the, the topic in a few moments. But our, um, Kirk's sister is a uh, part-time improvisation teacher. Oh, really? And she's not local to this area, unfortunately. She's out uh, in Phoenix, but... She just sort of launched a, a little business where she and her friend and, and fellow improv uh, specialist yeah. are using it in therapeutic ways yeah. for, I think, People kids with autism. With autism. Yeah. 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 yeah, And she's using that as a way to help them. Sure. I, I don't exactly know. Well, but, she, it, but sounds, it sounds like she might have a background in drama therapy or some yeah. sort of a training in, in drama therapy, which you can yeah. use any of the different creative yeah. media. To, to engage in the same way where you kind of surpass some of the, the things that happen when we're trying to think in a, in a verbal cognitive processing ways or when you're working with people who can't communicate in that way. Yeah. So there's art it's therapy, so there's music therapy, there's yeah. dance therapy, drama therapy, and they can be all woven together. Yeah. And she's, she's uh, great. This, this is relatively new for her, but she's, they've had some recognition locally and they're starting to sort great. of build up this business. And I think she's hoping that she can, you know, do it more full time. And, right. um, but yeah, it's just so, to me, it's uh, my mind just doesn't work like that like I, yeah. but that's just so foreign to me but I think it's so wonderful so that's great anyway, very similar that. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, very diverse background for you, but um, looking forward to chatting with you this yeah. morning about you know all things related um, to divorce and mm -hmm. relationships and separations and um, financial topics and otherwise. So yeah. if anyone has questions for us or for Amy this morning, please give us a call, 781-837-4900. Um, I thought we would start sort of by, oh, and by the way, you, we can check out Amy at, what's your website, Amy? It's uh, www.wholefamilylaw.com. Yeah, Wholefamilylaw.com, okay. Um, I thought we would start the discussion just by sort of like really big, you know, back it up a little bit, sure. big picture. Um, divorces are unfortunately relatively common in yep. our society. Yeah. Um, there are different ways to get divorced, mm -hmm. um, different avenues, I guess yeah. I would say. Yeah. And so I just wanted you to help our listeners. Okay. So, he, you know, if, if, if you're having discussions that this is happening, what sure. are the choices? I know, you know, yeah. maybe the traditional method of, you know, they each get an attorney uh, and you go to court. Yep. And that's what you uh, hear yeah, all the time yeah. is, is sort of the, the war of the roses approach. And it doesn't have to even escalate to the point like war of the roses, but traditionally people um, can way, way, way back. People had to actually file a lawsuit in order to get a divorce and oh. you had to prove fault um, in oh. order to be able to obtain a divorce. There had to be a proof of that and it almost it almost mirrored some of the criminal law procedures in terms of oh. proof, uh, the burden of proof that was on the person who was seeking the divorce. Is that why you always hear they cited irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences well, so, or so, there, is that like so the, that's the that, So the new standard that, that was passed and in, 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 in fact in some states in New York they only had irretrievable breakdown of the marriage uh, a no fault divorce okay. um, I think four years ago or so is when it finally came to New York okay. but the irretrievable breakdown, the no 
no-fault divorce came about in Massachusetts as, an, as a different kind of option um, so that there wasn't necessarily a proof of fault that you had to establish in order yeah. to get the divorce. Because how often but is it just one person's it's, fault? It's I mean, never it, one person's it, right. fault. There's, yeah. the, there's always yeah. a multitude of different layers. Yeah. But the challenge is that we're still stuck in the conventional legal process. We're still stuck in that mentality of, of two lawyers or, or two different parties who have adversarial um, uh, who, who are adversaries to each other trying to then prove what they need to prove in order to get what they want. Um, and so the conventional way that you hear people say is as soon as somebody's talking about divorce, everybody around them who loves them and wants to support them is saying, okay, you've got a lawyer up. You've got to get yeah. the best lawyer possible. Yeah. And in many cases, that's true. Mm-hmm. That you really, really do. Yeah. But um, And then the lawyer proceeds. They, they file a complaint. And in that complaint, they have to establish certain bits of information in order to protect their client. And so what un- unfortunately tends to happen is that the process, even if it starts off with people wanting to get a divorce relatively amicably, it kind of, be- people become polarized and, well, and they become pulled into this mindset of I'm talking with my attorney, you're talking with your well, attorney. That's, and that's all very threatening, yeah, right? Like yeah, my, sure. my spouse's attorney is contacting me yeah. and I don't know, requesting things or implying things yeah. or, yeah. And, very, and attorneys who are yeah. traditionally trained have a mindset. We we're supposed to zealously advocate for our client's position. And so what and how attorneys interpret that yeah. is, is varied. But for the most part, if, you're, if your client wants this, then what you're doing is you're trying to establish the case to help them get that. Now, there's many attorneys that are, we actually have a wonderful, wonderful family law bar in the Plymouth community. And so I would say many of the the attorneys that I know who even work in this conventional way are still trying to help their clients get to resolution. So Mm -hmm. even the the attorneys who aren't trained in in the ways that I have been trained out of court, there's still many, many conventionally trained attorneys who are doing great work. But the process itself and the court-involved process and going in front of a judge and filing motions, that just tends to unravel people. So you have the one path and you're right. The 1B path, we we call it 1B because that's the the numerical uh, uh, part of the statute. But that conventional approach where one person sees an attorney, they file for divorce, the other person gets served, and then they start working on things. The other path we call the 1A, the uncontested path, is people work together, come to an agreement first, and then file a joint petition together. And then present that And then present that to the judge. Correct. Yeah. I mean, so it still has to go to a judge no matter what, right? Right. So in Massachusetts... And and this isn't true in all states, but in Massachusetts, everybody who has an agreement, or obviously everybody who doesn't have an agreement has to litigate, but everybody who has an agreement still has to present that to the judge so that the judge can find it to be fair and reasonable, not the product of fraud or duress. Do they have to show up in person, even yep. if it's an, am- it's an yeah. agreed upon? I mean, in, yeah. some, in some circumstances, if one person is out of state, they can file a motion to waive presence, but the judge generally wants both people present so that they can take testimony from them yeah, okay. to establish that they both understood the agreement, that they read the agreement, that they, they had all of the relevant information in order to make a decision that the agreement was fair and reasonable. Yeah, that do makes sense. Do you know, like, so like the 1A versus the 1B, like how long they take and how expensive they are? Do you, can you talk about that? Do you know, do you know <laughs> it's those? It's the magic can, question. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's such a wide range, yeah. I would say. And also because, you know, I've had 1B cases where one person has filed and then we've still been able to resolve it. So it doesn't necessarily track with the, you know, the okay. filing process okay. itself. There are certain situations where people have to file first. I have collaborative cases even where somebody has to file at some point. So the actual track doesn't necessarily make a difference. I would say, you know, a litigated case or a contested case that you're working with an attorney, anywhere from five to $150,000. I mean, that there can be a really wide range and the yeah. variables tend to be how agreeable are the parties, 
what are the issues? And, and by agreeable, I mean how willing are they to find a resolution? How willing are they to produce the information that they need to produce in order to come to an agreement or find options for resolution? Mm-hmm. Um, how contentious are the attorneys? Sometimes the attorneys mm. involved are the ones who actually drive the costs up yeah. mm. and drive the process up. How many different things <laughs> yeah, are they yeah, filing? And who, and <laughs> yeah, who's like regulating that? Yeah, as far as like, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and then, you know, with mediation, I've had, I would say mediation, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but the uncontested process process is certainly, I would say in general, less expensive. Um, certainly mediation can be less expensive because you're not paying for every single interaction. If you think about if you have two attorneys on a case, even even if you're working together to find a resolution, you think about it like, uh, you know the game, operator, please help me. You remember that from when you were a kid? Like you would, no, you, would, when you would go around, I don't. You would go around in a circle and, and somebody would say something, they'd whisper it into the ear of the person next okay. to them and then they would whisper it into the yeah, ear of the person oh, next telephone, to them. Telephone, 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. So telephone. Yeah. But you know how information gets lost. Right. And, and yeah. things change and that's right, what happens yeah. in the chain of uh, the chain of communication so yes. client talks to the attorney the attorney talks to the other attorney the other attorney talks to their client then they go back yeah. and forth through this chain yeah. information gets lost right. it gets expensive blah 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 right. and attorneys talk in the, no offense talk yeah. in a different language than, they do, than most yeah. lay people yeah, <laughs> they uh, do. yeah. In, the, in that traditional um, 1B track yeah. which is you're going to court with yeah. your separate attorneys sure. is it frequent that you're going to court like several times because you got there and you couldn't resolve anything and then you got to go back and revisit like is that for, for some pretty yeah. for, for for a number of clients yeah for a number of people going through that process if you have to go in on what are called motions so a motion for temporary orders or a motion for discovery if somebody's not willing to produce the information that they need to produce in order to you know show how much money they make or show what their retirement accounts are sometimes people have to go in over and over on these silly things that wind yeah. up costing a lot of money because yeah. eventually the information is going to come out but people are just stalling and making it different okay Difficult. Yeah. So I so again, I've had one B cases that have resolved in a couple of phone meetings or a couple of in person meetings, um, and I've had one B cases that have just we've been in court Dragged all the time. Down. I mean, years ago I did that. For so. me, it's very. I have a very um, like mathematical, like black and white kind of mind, right? Yeah. So this stumps me a little bit because in my mind it's like here are the assets, and let's you know divide let's everything down right. the middle yep. and, and and what's so hard about that like let's it just it shouldn't be right right, right? like right. why does it take several trips to court and i get you know i understand yeah. that if someone's withholding information sure. and someone is implying well you have an asset you didn't disclose i i get all that but as far as the division of the assets and i know that you know somebody might want the marital home and then you, right. i'll give up this but it just doesn't seem like it would be that hard like it is but it's what's in terms i i don't mean yeah. getting divorced i mean the the division of the actual the proposed yep. division of assets doesn't seem like it would be very should be very complicated and or, you would or, and i think if you talk with almost any attorney in this in family law they would say i can look at you know the 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 different issues. If somebody comes to me and says, "Here's here's all the different assets," mm-hmm. you know, you can generally say this is probably how the case is going to turn out. This okay. is probably yeah. what is going to happen. What gets in the way are the emotions. Mm-hmm. What gets in the way are the underlying concerns that people have. What mm-hmm. are the what are the real concerns? Sometimes people aren't really concerned, like I said, about the thing that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're concerned about something else that's related but, to that or triggered by that. But they're using almost like yep. an excuse to... It, yeah. it's, it's just, it's a brain thing. And yeah. we, we, we just, we latch on to, you know, we can be fighting about, you know, dishes in the sink, but you're not really fighting about dishes in the sink. If you think about a couple, you know, you're not really fighting about the dishes. You're fighting about, uh, do yeah. you value my time over 
over your time? You know, do you value your time over my time? What mm. are you really concerned about? So that's why I like the way that I work because my job is to help people uncover those things mm. and not just focus on the issues at hand. But um, but yeah, people fight. So <laughs> the process of mediation sure. is you're approaching this separation as you know we we don't want we we want to be as amicable as possible. Sure. Maybe we have kids involved and we don't want to be fight you know whatever for whatever reason. But you do most couples still each have an attorney representing them or are you as the mediator, the attorney for both parties? So I'm not the mediator for both parties. And okay. that's something that I make really clear okay. to people when I when I start off. So even though I, I am a lawyer and during a mediation process, I can provide a lot of information. I can say, here's what the child support guidelines say. Here's what equitable division means. Yep. Here's what, uh, you know, here's how the judge, if you were to go to court, this is what the judge might do. I did work for the judges for two years as a probate family law clerk. So okay. I was working with the judges, helping them research and write decisions and sitting in on hundreds of cases. So yeah. I got a chance to, to, to See know the other, the other side. side. Yeah. Um, and so you can provide that kind of information as long as it is not biased towards either party. Or, or, or I mean, sometimes things that you say can feel biased to the people involved. Mm-hmm. But what I can't do is I can't say, Alyssa, you know what? I don't think that that's reasonable for you. Or I don't think that that's fair. This okay. is what I think you should do. That's getting into legal advice okay. and a legal representation okay. model. So as the mediator, I can't represent either party. I can draft all the documents for them at the end of the process as a neutral drafting attorney, but I can't represent either one. So I would so, say maybe like half of my clients have attorneys during the process at some point in time. Okay. And that's in part, I think, mostly due to finances. Yeah. And but maybe a little bit also in part due to people thinking if I get an attorney, it's inherently adversarial or they're going to undo all of this work that I'm trying to do mm. in mediation. Uh, because I mean, most people come to mediation for two reasons. They come, like you said, to keep the process as civilized as possible, as graceful as possible, focusing on the kids, recognizing that they they want to be able to have a relationship, and then um, and then also money. They they want to keep the cost down. They don't want to spend a whole lot of money on this thing that feels really crappy for them. Yeah. <laughs> so when when the clients that you're working with have an attorney, do yeah. they come to mediation with the client? Not yeah. generally. Not not in the not in the process that I work in, and tends to not be in the in the family law realm of mediation. In other kinds of mediations, business law litigation and and mediation in the business law realm. Always, you would mm. never ever have your clients go to mediation without their attorneys there. Okay, but um, I but it, in a few times I have had clients want their mediate want their attorneys in the room with there, and I have a wonderful community, like I said, of great attorneys. I try to steer my clients towards these these other attorneys who are yep. thinking in this. You know, resolution-based mindset. I'd imagine what you do gets pretty personal there with your clients too. So maybe having that their attorney there is that it just changes the dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, 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 yeah. just, it's just different. The conversations would be very. different. It depends on the imagine. attorneys too. You know, yeah. there's some attorneys that are wonderful to have in the room, and they can be really helpful, particularly yeah. for a client who's feeling very uncomfortable, either talking for themselves, you know, speaking up for themselves, or understanding the material. So some, you know, yeah. sometimes you have clients who really just can't process the information. Either yeah. they're so triggered emotionally, or they just don't have the the, the sensibilities. They, they're overwhelmed because they're talking about money, and so they want to have their attorney with them to help them navigate and, and understand that. So yeah. it can oh. be very flexible. Um, all right, let's. We're gonna we have to take a quick break. Okay. We'll come back and maybe we'll touch on. Um, you had mentioned like things that people can do to prepare for divorce, sure. maybe financially and otherwise. Um, but before we go to the break, we have a caller, and he <laughs> happens to be the other host of the show on Saturday morning. <laughs> Mike so. from Marshfield. <laughs> Mike from the Brant Rock Hop. Are you? Do I disguise my voice or what? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> Good morning. How are the girls? Good morning. He actually, has, a, he actually, has two of our girls. We're at the. 
we're at the omelet factory and I'm out in the oh. car because oh. we're still in the middle of breakfast. But anyway, oh. so listen, uh, we uh, th- thanks for the time here. So, folks who's li- who are listening, uh, next Saturday I'm doing the show, uh, and and the name of the show is officially a retirement checklist. Uh, and what I'd like to do is have some company on the show, and I'm looking for a couple of couples uh, that listen to the show that are somewhere near retirement or almost ready for retirement. And I'd like to just have some company to go through a whole checklist of stuff that you kind of need to, to do to get ready for retirement. Um, the, the radio might be a little scary for some folks, but if they listened to us before, I'm... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sounds like a waterfall. Yeah, or maybe, cut out? maybe the but omelet checklist. Oh. Yeah, oh. Exactly, or something oh, okay. like that. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, oh. uh, so you, in order to... Uh, can you hear me okay, Les? You or? cut out for a minute there. So you just yeah. said you were okay. looking for a couple of couples and... Yeah, a, a, yeah. a couple of couples to keep me company. Yeah. And, you know, it's the Saturday of the July 4th weekend. So, uh, you know, uh, first of all, it's worth a bunch of money for them to just sit with us for a couple of hours and get ready for retirement. But uh, what I thought I'd do is kind of a bribe is if, uh, if there is an interest, uh, I'd like to give out a couple of $150 gift certificates Ooh. to a restaurant of somebody's choice. Yeah. Big time bribe. Yeah. Keep me company for a couple hours on, on, on next Saturday. So let me read the official thing I wrote and then I'll let you go here. All okay? right. So you ready? Yeah. Let me get my, <clears throat> my radio voice ready to go here. If I might have it in thinking, my purse because he printed it for me yesterday and said, here's okay. what I'm going to announce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, go you ahead. You read it. it. You probably threw it away. Yeah. Uh, okay, folks, if you are thinking about retirement, how would you like to spend two hours on July 6th with a certified financial planner practitioner getting your ducks in order? Mike McNamara, that's me, is going to do a retirement checklist show on July 6th from 8 to 10 here on WATD, and I'd really like some company. You don't have to do any homework in advance of the show. For your time, Mike will give you a $150 gift certificate to a restaurant of your choice. Uh, I'm looking for two couples, uh, just because it's much more fun when you have a bunch of folks. Uh, Those people should be thinking about retirement, close to retirement, or almost imminently about to retire because I want to go through a checklist of things that they should be doing and worrying about. By the way, folks, we don't have to use your real names and we won't get into any specifics about your financial information. We're going to keep it big time general uh, plan A kind of stuff. Uh, And if you're a listener to the show, uh, you know I'm pretty easy to get along with and it should be fun. So uh, if you have an interest, let's see, you can call the show here and leave a message with Tim. That's 781-837-4900. And Liz, what's the magical text? Number. Do you have that text on there this morning? 781-775-0116. Okay, or, and they can call... Or, or the office, this, yep. Yeah, the office at 781-834-2010. But, folks, uh, it should be a really great show. It's a whole lot better if I don't do a monologue. And so a couple of couples listening to the show. And, Liz, would you mind doing this, like, one more time before the show is over? Sure, okay. no problem. And we should... It doesn't necessarily need to be couples, right? If a single person wanted to join, that would obviously be fine as well. Yeah. That would be correct. But more than one couple, because it's a little less scary if you have company on the radio, if 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 you're new to it, you know? And even, I I guess, technically, they could be partners. That's right. Okay. Any, that, that's any, correct. Yes. Yep. No the discrimination here regarding right. yeah, marital status yeah. or not. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, the so checklist is the same. Okay. Got it. All right. Yes. We will announce that again later in the show. If anyone has interest, give us a call. All right. I'm going back to breakfast. All right. Okay. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, Tim, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back.
Right, we are back. Alyssa's back. All right. Uh, I was just in the nick of time there. Those commercial yeah. breaks aren't, there she aren't goes. long enough to run to the ladies' quick. room. They are quick. Oh, uh, good morning, everyone. Yeah, this is where I need the card. So we're talking to Amy Martell yep. of Whole Family, Whole Law. Family Law and, and mediation. mediation. All right. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to get something wrong there. Why? Well, so I had a question. So, yeah. you know, you're talking about this process of going through the mediation, and it, you know, it sounds like you know your you know your approach and this you know, processes can be pretty powerful. And I was just kind of curious, you know, anybody going through this process, does anybody ever stay together? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually, I, I think I asked you the same question okay. yeah. when we chatted on the phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More more often, uh, I mean, that, well, maybe I shouldn't say more often, but more often than you would probably imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I certainly have a lot of couples who come in, they get the information from me, they start going through everything and then realize... Oh my God, this is crazy. This is a huge amount yeah. to, to try to even navigate. Let's just give this whatever whatever try we can. Yeah. Um, and then I do, I have a little subset of the mediation work that I do at that's actually called mediation to stay married. Yeah. Um, and I and I keep thinking about how can I build this? How can I use some of the same tools that I have in terms of discovering underlying interests, creating shared value and understanding, and how do you build up and create it, a conflict resolution that helps people stay married? And is that the, is that different from marital counseling or is that it's just I'm not a counselor. So oh, okay. even though I have the background as a therapist, I don't have a license in Massachusetts oh, to practice here. So okay. I'm not and I'm not doing insight based work. I'm not I'm not excising, you know, what what happened, why do you behave the way that you behave? I'm not looking into yeah. these kind of you know under the the surface issues as far as psychological issues that's those aren't the skills that I have but if somebody comes in and they're the part of the presenting issue is um, we're having differences about the way that we believe children should be disciplined I can help people negotiate that I can help people have mm-hmm. a conversation about you know some of these things that are bothering them and sometimes the, the conflicts that people bring in are really about I would say most of the time they're about being heard yeah. and being recognized and when people get stuck in this cycle, this this conflict cycle, whether it's about the dishes or whether it's about money or whether it's something else, they often get stuck in a way because one person starts to behave in a particular way and then the other person sees them and then starts characterizing them in their mind and then everything starts getting filtered through this story that the other person is telling about mm. who the other person is, what the other person is thinking, what they're doing, and they develop this whole story and kind of put the, put the other person in a box and then in response, that the other person they, they feel that from each other, hmm. um, and radio listeners can't see me, you know, doing the the I talk with my hands a lot, making a but box people, with your hands. But, but yeah, there's <laughs> a box and there's a there's a cycle. Yeah. You're mi- you're and, like a mime right now. And yeah. then and, and then what happens? Then the other person starts behaving in a certain way, and then the other the. the the person, the original person, starts to feel that from them and then also starts to project that onto them. So people get stuck in these cycles. So mm. sometimes I can help people pull apart a little bit of the story that's going on. And, and I use psychodrama uh, techniques, yeah. even, you know, getting people to, to I, I sometimes I tell the story of, like, this is what I think you're actually saying. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But I'm actually going to say what, what, what is not getting said here. And you, you let me know if I I'm, could listen to you talk all day, I think. <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, <laughs> Oh, I had a question and I just lost okay. it. Oh, what I was going to say is, you know, you know, to Kirk's question regarding do people actually stay together? Yeah. I would imagine that the 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 longer it takes people to to go through the process of separation, maybe the better in terms of staying together. Like is that is that one situation where almost like 
the length of the process is your friend or not really? Or do they realize that relatively quickly? That, I think, I think, yeah. yeah, I think once people are down the path going through the divorce process, they're, they're not, if they're pretty far down the path, they're not changing directions okay. for yeah. the most part. Okay. Um, I've heard of a couple of cases where people have gotten back together afterwards where they, their yeah. relationship has improved so much and then they wind up getting back together for a period of time. It just, it takes, if, if you've gone down that road, um, I think it, I think it can be hard to reverse track when you're down that far. Yeah. But but related to what you said, I do sometimes see when people have taken a long time to go through the process, not necessarily with lawyers and, and the litigated process, but when people have taken their time after whatever the presenting incident is that, that led them to say, okay, it's time for us to get a divorce. Sometimes that additional bit of time can be really healing for people. Yeah. So there's no one right answer of, you know, when should you actually start a process? But I have had some clients, I had one really, I'd loved this. They they came in to see me. They had been separated for, for many years. They both had significant resources. So they had enough resources where they could each separate buy a house that was close to oh. each other. Right. So so that, that, nice, that yeah. lends an element yeah. of, of stability that, yeah. that not everybody has. Yeah. But they could make some of those decisions. And then with their parenting plan, um, they said literally they waited to see where the grass got worn and then they created their agreement based on that. Um, and it was Aww. literally that they lived close enough to each other that the kids could go back and yeah. forth and walk. And so they took their time. Again, they had some resources, both internal resources and financial resources that not every couple has. Yeah. But that was nice for them. And and for situations where somebody is really, really angry at the beginning of the process, sometimes that little bit of breathing room can help by the time, you know, if they've taken some time before they get to the table. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we want to talk about is how people can prepare for this process. Sure. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know if that means before they meet with someone like you or, or if you're, you know, walking them through the preparation yeah. process. Um, so I, I guess financially, my mind goes to the finances of it yeah. and what can they do to, you know, gather information and prepare exactly. financially, but also, you know, um, how can they prepare otherwise? I guess emotionally yeah. or, or, or thinking about, you know, the situation, you know, what's going to happen with the kids and what, what does each party want related yeah. to the kids in custody and things like that. So sure. what, what is your advice to people? Do you, do you ask your clients to prepare before they come meet with you? What are you asking them? What's their homework? I, I do because I think that people feel better when they come to mediation and they get something done. You know, we, we, we like to feel accomplished in any yeah. situation. So I like people to at least come um, having had time to start gathering the information that you're talking about. Know how much is in all the bank accounts. Know what's in the retirement yeah. accounts. Have a sense. Uh, not everybody comes in with this information, but have a sense about whether the company who provides the health insurance for the couple would continue to provide health insurance yeah. for the, the divorce spouse. Yeah. Um, have a, com you know, gather some of that, at least so that you know what some of the moving parts are. So I actually try to prepare my clients a lot before they come in. Um, this is overwhelming. People are in a you know heightened state of emotion. Yeah. So I try to give them a sh a lot of information before they they come in, and it, both in terms of the law and what is you know what the law says, so that they have some framework of what to expect from the conversations as well as the information. But the emotional pre pre preparation is a whole other. I yeah, can't can require. You, can you do any? I mean, <laughs> well, you can. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can get into a mindset. So there's a few things that you can do. Is is if you if you say okay, I want. I, I, this, this is stinky that we have to go through this divorce, but we want to do it. Um, I have to be careful of what I say. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but this is, this isn't where we want it to be. 
Um, this is a question I actually ask all of my clients at the beginning of the process. You think, okay, this isn't where I want it to be, but what I want you to think about is, you know, six months from now, six years from now, you're looking back and you say, it wasn't where I wanted it to be, but we did it well and we did it right mm-hmm. for ourselves, for our kids, mm-hmm. for our, you know, for our, our emotional well-being. What does that mean? What does that what does that look like on a high level? So so thinking about these goals, it's it's another way just to ask people what are their goals because if you are only looking at the thing that it's in front of you and you're focusing on the the anger or you're focusing on the fear because fear is really what's underlying anger most of the time, and and most people coming into the process with me are afraid. What is this going to look like? How am I going to support myself? How am I going to function on my own? Why you know I'm only going to get to see my kids part time? These are horrible things to be trying to mentally envision. Um, and so, you know, what you want to do is is you want to envision in the outcome and think, okay, so if that's where I want to go, how can I get there from here? And so some of the other emotional preparation you can do is think about who's on your team. Think about what information you have financially and who's on your team supporting you getting that information. So mm-hmm. I, I always I always recommend people are working with a financial planner during the process, mm-hmm. either jointly or, or individually, so that they really have a sense of what this means for them. Yeah. Um, and that they're building a team of people who are going to support their goals. If their goal really is, I want to fight, I am so angry and I have to fight, get a lawyer who's going to do that with you. That wouldn't be me. Right. But 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 there but there are other people out there. I mean are the are the biggest Issues when a couple is going through divorce, financial, and custody. Um, I mean, what are the other big yeah, issues I, that you, people are negotiating or or coming to agreement upon? Sure. I mean, well, I mean, they 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 always sort of surround those two yeah. issues. So they're yeah. talking about you know when it's financial, even when they're talking about parenting time, they're sometimes still talking about finances. Mm. Um, they're talking about and college expenses, for instance, or or, yeah. or health and you know the cost of health insurance. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah they, it tends to be those things. One, it seems to me that one of the concerns that some people have when they are separating or, or going through a divorce is, what if my spouse is hiding an asset from mm-hmm. me? Sure. And again, in my black and white mind, I'm thinking that there, there's no way that that could reasonably happen. Right. I, but perhaps <laughs> it does. And I, But maybe talk about... Um, you know what what you or what attorneys do to uncover these assets sure. i mean i know that tax returns are being examined yeah. going back x number of years w- what is the law state regarding um uncovery of assets i well, guess to right. el- el- eliminate or mitigate that concern of, sure. of my spouse hiding a significant amount of money from me as we go through a divorce right so i mean there there are absolutely tools to to uncover that doesn't yeah. mean that, that that they're going to be able to uncover every single instance yeah. no and, and in in situations where people have extremely significant means there are tools that they can use to 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 find ways to to shelter some of the resources that they have um in most cases in most cases um, even where somebody is for instance working in a job where they get a significant amount of their their income from cash there's still ways to figure that out and, mm-hmm. and pull that apart and in Massachusetts our rules of discovery which and by discovery that's a term of art in legal world meaning producing information mm-hmm. they're pretty robust so there's a whole stack of information that you have to produce at the beginning of a divorce case including three years of bank statements three years of tax statements okay. three years of, of retirement statements that's all required doesn't mean that everybody does it no that that's why people get into court cases right but most of the time that happens and within that information you can pull apart a lot you can see 
if somebody's lifestyle is this, but they're reporting this amount of income, you know there's something missing. Right. And so you can start to pull that apart. Right. I make it clear in the mediation context that that's part of my job is to make sure that people have the information that they need to have. And if people have concerns, that's an opportunity for them to work with an attorney, maybe work with a, a forensic accountant, um, somebody yeah. who has specific skills in looking at all of these different documentation um, pieces and piecing where's the missing and where where's the missing information uncovering things yeah how about talk about a situation where in the in the in the middle of a separation pre-divorce uh-huh. yeah um you know one's one of the spouses accesses a significant amount of jointly owned money and spends it on a sports car or some, or, <laughs> or a huge vacation or something sure. what, what what is the legal process or how is that viewed legally sure so, so, so when one person files in that one B context, yeah. there is what is called an automatic restraining order on assets that's placed on the assets. Now, it's not it's not something that happens automatically. There's not you know the bank accounts don't close. There's not a lien placed on your house, but there is a process where the court says you cannot use your assets other than in the normal course of of mm. business and living, um, unless you have prior approval from either the court. Or your spouse. So that's uh, after so the, the that's court after filing. The court filing. filing. So if something right. happens before the court filing, nothing you so can like do about if, it. So if yeah. you do that, if some, so if somebody files and then there's that, that restraining order, how does the other person get notified of that? Get notified that, that there's been some kind right. of transaction? There's there's always that. I mean, I think, again, that goes back to you're looking at the information on an ongoing basis and you can see, for instance, if they just got a bonus and only $20,000 of it was deposited. And they no, but I mean, I mean, like, uh, so if somebody if so somebody files for divorce yep. and there's that, you know, how does how does the other divorce say yeah. know about it? Like, how do they, how are they notified that? That somebody has filed. Yes. Oh, there, there is. There's what's called a summons. So okay. part, part of the filing process involves putting the paperwork into court. The court sends you back something that's called a summons, and mm-hmm. it's not summoning you to court that day, but it's letting you know this is this is your in- notice that this person has filed a complaint for divorce, and then the other person who's been served either by a constable or a sheriff, or in some mm-hmm. situations they they actually are just mailed to the attorney that's working with them, and they can sign that that okay. notice is voluntarily. Like when you see it on TV, like yeah. oh, are so and so, here yep. you go. Here's yeah. the present. Exactly, <laughs> right. that's what happens. That's literally what happens. It's literally what oh. happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone shows up on your door, but yeah. it doesn't have to happen that way. A lot of people don't know that you actually don't have to have a constable serve. It's just the signature on the summons that says, "I acknowledge that I have this information and that I have been notified." It has to be notarized, and so mm-hmm. that that constable was done because people would have, you know, didn't want to sign that notification, so you couldn't open the court case until uh. that that summons was was acknowledged. But in 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 situations where you have two attorneys working together or even sometimes in people who are working in mediation and do want to file. That's, for instance, is, is sometimes the reason that somebody wants to file. They want to either have that restraining order on assets put together formally yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they can, they can acknowledge it voluntarily so they don't have to have a constable show up on their front door and they don't have to pay the $65. I, wonderful <laughs> constable network. I don't want to dismiss constables because they're a really, really wonderful, unique breed of people. <laughs> they, they are fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, so then, then, in mediation, you know, part of my engagement agreement with people is acknowledgement that that you cannot be in mediation unless you're willing to be 100% transparent. Okay. If you're not willing to be transparent, and that goes to collaborative law, which we're going to talk about soon yeah. too. If you are not willing to be transparent, the mediation process can't continue. And so then, then they have to t- talk to lawyers. So if that is happening on an ongoing basis, if there's been continual um, disruption in that way, I may have sit down and have a conversation with a couple and say... This will only work if, if you're both work. if you're both willing to come to the table in this way. Yeah. Um, all right. We're talking with 
uh, Amy Martell of Whole Family Law and Mediation <laughs> right here in Marshfield. Um, we're talking about sort of all things surrounding divorce and, and mm-hmm. the different approaches to divorce and mediation. And and I think I've asked you three or four times about, explain this collaborative law thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I quite <laughs> understand it. It's so I think many attorneys um, don't and many people don't either. So yeah, it's, it's so, but it's interesting. So it, you just mentioned it yeah. a moment ago. So do you want to take an opportunity to just explain what, what that sure. means and what that approach is? Yeah. And, and if you can think about it, the, the process of resolutions kind of lie on a spectrum. And one of the, the out, one of the, the things that you hear about is, is mediation and that's on one end of the spectrum yeah. and maybe litigation is all the way on the other end of the spectrum, okay. full blown, going to court, fighting in front of a judge. Collaborative law is a process that evolved about t- 30 years ago or so as an attorney who was totally frustrated with the process of, of litigating. He was actually becoming suicidal and he said, you know what, this, there has to be a better way to do this. If oh, both of the attorneys agree to be reasonable from the outset and agree we are going to work on this and roll up our sleeves and not go to court, we could help clients get through this. If we mm. don't have to use all of the posturing and the adversarial techniques that wind up undermining clients' willingness to be collab- to be cooperative, um, then we can help clients get to where they actually really want to be because most clients don't want to be stuck in court. I mean, right, who, right, right, they're, they're, right. They're, so in a collaborative law, collaborative law sort of on a big picture level uses what we call an interest-based model of conflict resolution. So focusing on these values, needs, and concerns that people have, the underlying values, needs, and interests, and working to build an agreement that works for both people and working out of court. Um, and now collaborative law has evolved to become a team-based practice. So you're usually working with two collaboratively trained attorneys mm-hmm. and often a neutral divorce coach. And the divorce coach is trained as a mental health counselor originally. Um, and they are there to facilitate the emotional contours of the process, the ups and downs, working with the couple to deal with either parenting plans sometimes. But that neutral facilitator is also there. I sort of liken them as I do as a mediator to the third leg of a milking stool for anybody who's sat and milked a cow. But, <laughs> but you know, because there's so many of us out there who yeah. do that. Nope, can't uh, say I've done that. <laughs> nope. But, uh, but they, they provide stability. I mean, three is an inherently more stable number than mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. If you think about two attorneys on either side, no matter how cooperative, collaborative they are, there can be a tendency, and the r- listeners can't see me sort of do the seesaw motion, there can be a tendency <laughs> to do, to become what we call positional, to become rooted in what your client wants and not necessarily thinking about the whole picture and how to help both of them come to an agreement. Because again, as attorneys, we are trained to represent our clients and what our clients want. Mm -hmm. When clients come into the collaborative law process, what they're doing is they're choosing attorneys who have this level of training, who have additional training in conflict resolution and in this model. The clients are signing an agreement to keep the process out of court. Mm-hmm. The attorneys are acknowledging that agreement. And if the process cannot, if they cannot come to an agreement in this collaborative law context, the attorneys actually have to withdraw. So mm. the attorneys can't represent them in a future okay. litigation case. Okay. So it provides a little bit of incentive to stay focused. Uh, and so it's uh, attorneys playing nice in the sandbox. Well, you know, I had I had one. Yeah, I had right? one. Is I had, that what collaborative law is? It's, yeah. it's kind of, I had one attorney come to one of my trainings and she said, isn't this really just a formal way to get attorneys to behave the way that yeah. they should? <laughs> I was like, that's, like, that's yeah. kind of, it, 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 I mean, when people come into collaborative law and they're doing their first collaborative case, they're going, oh my God, this is such a relief because this is what you want to be able to do and think. And, and even in a collaborative law context, I've had cases where we have disagreements about the law and how it might be interpreted to impact this one particular case, but we talk about it civilly. We 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 negotiate that, and we 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 talk about that in front of our clients. So we're having those conversations out in the open with the clients at all times. I mean, attorneys ster- very stereotypically 
want to like wanna they're win. successful if they win right I, yeah. if I win I'm a good attorney yeah. and that that implies that someone else loses exactly and right. so and you had to mention that on the phone yeah, too exactly so it's, I guess so there's 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 eliminating that yes yeah, yeah. yeah so there, there's there's a, a, a parable that you hear if you take a mediation class or collaborative law training it's called the, the, and I wrote an article called the wisdom of the orange but two kids are <laughs> sitting there in a, in a, and they're fighting over the orange it's the last orange and oh, it sounds just like our kids. Yeah, exactly. So whatever, whatever. So, and so, be whatever. And so, and so, an and so yeah. most parents in that situation, what would you do if they're fighting over the last orange? You cut the you, orange you in half. You cut it in half, right? Yeah. So the, the parent who's there cuts it in half, which is what most parents would do, gives it to each kid, and each kid is still crying and fussing. Yeah. And the parent's <laughs> like, what, what's going on? What are you, what's the matter? Well, what they find out is that one child wanted the whole of the orange to zest. They needed yeah. the whole of it yep. for the recipe, and the other child was you know, looking at this other orange that's going into the trash. They just wanted to eat it and juice it. So if they had ask those additional questions, they can find out what do you really want. Mm. So for instance, to take that into the divorce world, I often hear people coming in and they say, I want 50% custody. And they're using that 50%. I got equal custody. I'm an equal parent. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, that that just the fun person, the fun parent. Mm-hmm. And they come in with this mindset. And so they're not going to be willing to take anything less than 50%. But if we ask them, what are the things that you're most concerned about? I don't want to be just the, you know, to be gender typical in, in this. And I don't want to be just the fun weekend dad. I don't, I don't, I want to actually put my kids to sleep. I want to help them with their homework. I want to be part of their, their everyday life and do some of these home things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe the, the spouse can't envision a situation where the kids' lives are disrupted because they, they, they have such a clear routine. But what they realize is that is that they have a pattern anyway of one parent maybe picking the kids up. And so if they build off of, I want to be able to do these things and I want these things for the kids, we want to try to create foreseeability, reliability, uh, you know, a sense of structure for the kids within this new two-parent, you know, two-household family. Mm-hmm. If they build off those fundamental values and concerns, they can build a parenting agreement that works. They're not labeling it and now trying to fit it into the package. They're saying, these are the fundamental concerns that we have. How can we build up from there and, and find something that's going to work for both of us and work for our kids? Yeah. I was just thinking about the the orange, right? Mm-hmm. And I I feel like, but I feel like it's very similar to what we were just talking about, about attorneys. Like if, yeah. like I'm a good attorney, if I win, I like, win, I get more of the orange. Yeah. Right. I get I, more feel, of the pie. I feel exactly. like with our kids, it's like, they don't necessarily want to eat the whole orange. They just want to win. Like right. they don't want, well, my first, I just don't want you to have the orange. My first right? thought, my first thought yeah, was, yeah, yeah. well, your side's bigger than mine. So yeah. 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 You didn't cut that in half. Yeah. <gasps> Yeah. yeah, and so and so again, breaking that down into the you know what is reasonable. Yeah. Thinking about how Massachusetts law works in terms of considering what is reasonable if we're looking at assets, for instance. Yeah. Uh, Massachusetts is not an automatic fifty-fifty state. Okay. Um, in longer-term marriages, sometimes it winds up being somewhere around there. I mean, I would say often. The, the division of assets winds up being somewhere around there, but we're invited to take into consideration a number of different factors that make one resolution you know, more reasonable than another, given, yeah. given the history of the relationship, given the health, the ability of each of the Ear- people Earnings, involved. abilities going exactly. forward, things yeah. like that. And yeah, so, and so even with, even with something like that, it's really what's most reasonable and what are your values? And so talking with people about what happens if you were trying to win this, what's going to be the logical consequence? And when people actually peel that back and think about, well, if I'm trying to win, what does this actually do to my relationship? What does this actually do to my children? Particularly when kids are involved, if you peel that back a little bit for people, um, then they can start to think in a in a kind of broader context. Yeah. Um, all right. We are talking with Amy Martell, Whole Family Law and Mediation. You can go to her website, wholefamilylaw.com. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. We're with McNamara Financial right here in Marshfield. We're talking about um, things today related to divorce and separation um, and, and the different ways to approach that and the financial <laughs> aspects of that. Um, I think maybe after the break, I would love to get into prenups and postnups, sure. or maybe there's more that we can cover on the financial side yeah. of, of getting through a divorce oh, and how, um, you you know, you were just mentioning it's not necessary. It's not always just everything's, you know, 50-50 because that might not work for certain parties for whatever reasons, but mm -hmm. there's a way to work around it and still make it um, fair and yeah. equitable. Um, so we can touch upon that. If anyone has questions, you can text us 781-775-0116 or you can call the studio 781-837-4900. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back.